Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Hello, hello, patrons, subscribers. People, Brendan here from vetgurus.com with Mark. It is episode 190, Friday, 21st of May 2021. And Mark, I'm going to jump in and keep talking here um, because I did say that with episode 190, we will talk about our fantastic 200th episode giveaway and the swag of prizes. Um, it's amazing. And I haven't even seen the prizes, and it's still amazing, although I've heard about a few of the prizes. And basically all you have to do, and we'll have a note on the website for our, our notes for this particular episode and for every episode up until episode one 200, all you have to do to be in the running for this giveaway is send an email. That's it. That's all it is, Mark. Vetgurus at gmail.com, send an email, ideally say hello in it and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. But that's all you need to do and you'll be in the draw to win the giveaway. What do you think about that, Mark? It's exciting, Brendan. It's exciting on so many levels. It's amazing to think that we've even got to 200 or close to 200 episodes now. Um, but that glitter bag of swag, um, someone's going to walk away very, very happy. So we get hope we get a uh, huge deluge of um of emails uh, celebrating our 200th episode and it's an amazing it's like all your christmases at once and we need to start thanking our sponsors which we will start from now thank you sponsors <laughs> and we'll talk about some of the prizes that or giveaways that our sponsors have um generously donated to us um, and we'll talk about that next week mark i think we'll start with that next week and we'll go through those prizes yes. um we will have to do it one week and at it, a time because they have been so generous that um it'll take up too much time of our podcast to run through everything in one episode yes so send us an email at vet at gmail.com and you are in the in the drawer in the draw, which Mark will announce um, on episode 200. And we will post the prizes at great expense <laughs> of Brendan and Mark and our sponsors to anywhere in the world. So whether it's one of our listeners in Kazakhstan or one of our listeners in South Africa or Finland or the Great, or great Britain, etc., we will send it, won't we, Mark? It'll be packed and have an Australian stamp in the top right corner and it'll be there. And that's almost as valuable as the actual <laughs> prizes inside with a little kangaroo on it. Yes. So what have you been up to, Mark? Oh, it's just been work, 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 Brendan. It's been so busy and um, some interesting cases. We've had uh, um, some uh, unusual um, unusual species with unusual gastrointestinal problems. I'm particularly – oh, crikeys, Brendan. I've got to tell you uh, a, a little bit of a dilemma I have. Um we have some wonderful clients who have um, uh, hand-reared Indian hill miners, the the um, the you know the bird that's largely considered a pest here in Australia. Um, they make wonderful pets, 
have a couple of health issues, um, but crikey's they people who don't have them are very very down on people that do have them. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a little bit of a controversy in the waiting room when people walk in with um, their pet uh, minor bird, um, however smart they are and and however domesticated they appear people seem to get very worked up that uh, some people have them as pets um so but it's been an interesting yes. case looking at floppy the minor bird uh and what was wrong with floppy what's the one minute summary well, of floppy i'll tell you when i figure it out um, uh, <laughs> uh, some uh, yes you need to refer refer floppy to That's a good exactly avian right. veterinarian i'll I find think, one right? and <laughs> Um, gastrointestinal stasis of some unknown cause. They, they have a, they, it is interesting that their medicine is different. Maybe it's a topic we'll have to hit up for one of our, uh, um, our podcasts, the medicine of minor birds. Um, but it is a bit different to other birds and, um, and they are a little bit frustrating, shall we say. Well, I have the title already, Mark. Minor medicine. <laughs> there we go. Yes. <laughs> there King we go. of puns you are, Brendan. <laughs> Well, I think you should jump into your news story um, since you're so happy. Um, you've got a very happy story for us this week. Well, there Mark. is some um, some logic to my happiness, Brendan. I'm uh, very keen to report this story in the National Post, which um, has been across several, you know, I've seen it across uh, several media sources. Um, it talks about um, birds can make you as happy as money. So this study looked at um, the a lot of a lot of ad, a lot of people. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it, it's one of our isn't it a regular thing when we look at surveys or studies that the numbers worry us. But this one's 26,000 adults across 26 European countries compiled from the 2012 Euro European Quality of Life survey. Um, and the researchers in that uh, of that survey concluded that diversity in nature had the greatest influence on people's moods. The happiest Europeans are those who can experience numerous bird species in their daily life. And they actually did a little bit of um, a mathematical calculation, which said um, that... Uh, People were 50% happier with a 10% rise in bird species um, and they were 50% happier with a 10% rise in bird species, more happy than an extra 10% in increase in their income, um, which is a little bit surprising to me, Brendan, because, you know, you, I know money doesn't make you happy. Famous, you know, our famous Beatles song that said that. But um, it is definitely the case that um, I would have thought that... Uh, it would be difficult to measure, but um, clearly these researchers have uh, identified being around 14 more bird species was the equivalent to the participants earning an extra $190 a month um, based on a monthly income of $1,837. Um, diversity of bird species is amongst the best indications of the overall health of the environment. Um, and so it's not a big surprise that the sight and sound of birds correlates with uh, people being happier with the natural environment. Yes. I think that's sort of the takeaway that I had from this one too, Mark, and that if the environment's good, we feel good, the birds feel good, and we get paid more <laughs> because we're working more productively. <laughs> 
I should do a PhD on this. <laughs> You've already got it sorted. Ah, <sighs> uh, yes. Happy birds, happy bird, happy life. Isn't that what they That's say, what I Mark? say. Is that what they say? <laughs> That's what you say. Well, unhappy stolen rabbit, Mark, makes an unhappy person. And my, Because my story is about Darius. The world's longest Mark. rabbit, Mark. No, Did I didn't, you know didn't realise there was a record holder. Darius, who is the Guinness World Records' world's longest rabbit, which is 129 centimetres, Mark, at full wow. stretch, was stolen from central England. And he's a continental giant rabbit, and he disappeared from his enclosure in the backyard. It's a little bit of a, it's a mystery, this one, Mark. I, I, there's a bit of an undertone. <laughs> this, um, story I agree here, with you. Um, because the police would not elaborate on why they thought it was a theft instead of an escapade, an escapee that had escaped. Um, and the force, the bill, Mark, as we call them in the UK, they appealed for any information about the sightings of Darius, who was grey-brown and 129 centimetres at full stretch. And, um, yeah, the, um, the owner, Annette, and this is where it even gets a bit more intriguing, I think, Mark, is a large rabbit breeder. <laughs> And model, as as the as the um, report indicates, I don't know why they wanted to throw that in there. Urged the culprit or culprits to return Darius to his home northwest of London, and she was quoted as saying, "It was a very sad day when Darius was taken." And she initially offered one thousand pounds as a reward, but she's retweeted, Mark, or tweeted that that she's so upset. I'm up in the reward to £2,000, Mark. Now, do you think, you know, the cynic in me would say she's, um, her hubby's taking it next door and um, she's trying to promote her rabbit breeding business um, and um, get a bit of promotion going on there, Mark. Um, is that an unfair criticism? <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as the um, and model, rabbit breeder and model came into it, I thought this was a bit of a... Well, it'll be interesting to see whether whether Darius shows up. Darius comes back surreptitiously. Whether he shows back in a in a in a in a stew and feeds the whole family <laughs> for a week. <laughs> I don't know, Mark, but um, it's going to be one way or the other, I think. Unless he's been taken by a fox, and that fox won't be eating for a couple of weeks as well. Twenty nine centimeters. And they can weigh up to about nine, you know, seven to nine kilos. Um, his his breed there, Mark, the the giants. Um, so he can, they're big rabbits. But um, it's a bit of a weird story. Isn't you could dig it to see. Yeah, we just, we literally don't see any. We see a few yeah. giants. Yeah, yeah. Are they? Um, we do mainly from one one um, breeder rescue organisation, Mark. Yeah. No, it's amazing how many of them come through this rescue organisation. Um, because you would think that the, the giants are in demand. Yeah. Um, um, they are they're pretty um, – I, I find them quite interesting rabbits and fairly placid rabbits and, and really sort of chilled personalities, the giants, um, compared with the, you know, the opposite sort of stereotypical sort of mini mini lops are really flighty and, and bouncing off the walls and jumping off the consult room tables. Um, the giants I tend to see are fairly fairly relaxed rabbits, yes, and quite long. As <laughs> quite well. long apparently. Yes. So there we go. That's my news story. That's all I've got this week, Mark, because I think we are going to jump into our main 
topic this week, which is one that you suggested, which we've sort of hinted at a few times in the past, and that is the disease of distemper in ferrets. And it's a it's a good choice of a topic, I think, because it's a bit of an interesting one. This there's a there's a couple of couple of important differentiations of, of this disease compared with other other species, especially if you're not used to dealing with ferrets, and uh, a little bit of controversy about the the prevention um, protocols. There for, is some controversy, this, hasn't? Uh, and but it's really been growing that controversy, hasn't it? Yes. Um, We'll get on to that lastly, I think. Uh, we'll talk about So we'll jump into the first bit. What, what are the signs of distemper in ferrets, Mark? What's the classic sort of signs? Sort of say? And, and before, we, before you jump into that, do you want to tell me, have you seen, how many, have you seen one in, in your practice? Definitely have seen one, but not for some time. We've, I think we've had this discussion about how the incidence um, has dropped off. And when you did ask me this, um, like it would be um, roughly the same time as that photo I showed you, that was probably the last time I saw a ferret with distemper more than a dozen years ago. Um, and we haven't seen any since. But there have been some publications in the last few years in the AVJ um, which recorded um, the uh, incidents of canine distemper in dogs and ferrets um, and the central coast just south of us between us and and sydney has recorded a number of uh, uh there has been reports of a number of uh distemper cases both in dogs and ferrets in that area so um while the incidence has dropped off both in my practice and um, i'm given to understand in domestic ferrets significantly it still occurs yeah, and I, I, I think what I mentioned to my clients when we're talking about preventative care for that new ferret client to the practice is, um, I just say it's a, a rare condition, but it has been reported certainly in Australia, and I think most most countries of the world where ferrets are kept of pets, it has been reported there. But I'd certainly suggest it's regarded as rare in Australia, not unheard of, but certainly rare. And and so we're talking about the same virus as a canine distemper virus, um, which is a paramyxovirus um, that um, the ferrets get. But the signs they get, Mark, are reportedly um, completely different, aren't they, than what you'd expect with a distemper case in a dog? Are they? And what are they? <laughs> yes. Um, so in in uh, in ferrets, um, there's a – it's a bit over a week the incubation period usually um, they uh, develop watery you know they get a, a serious oculonasal discharge um, gradually over a couple of days that becomes purulent um, the eyelids will become swollen and stuck together um, they do get like little viral pustules on the chin um, uh, and they often are most visible in the hairless area between uh, um, you know the 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 area where the lips meet the skin they're most obvious um the feet swell and the pads become and this is often the thing that people uh relate to me in the time when i first graduated and we did see a few of these cases the the uh, very swollen and inflamed pads um after um three or four days the ferrets become intensely um, uh, uncomfortable, uh, reticent to move. They um, go off their food, and um, and almost invariably, um, they end up 
almost, I can't think of any that we've seen that haven't died because there's always that argument about are they going to make it or not. Um, there are different... And whether to treat... And- go on, you go. Yes, and I think the phrase I always use to the clients is invariably yes, fatal. Good turn of phrase. What I say. Um, I, there are um, reports of ferrets that survive longer than that, sort of five, six, seven days, um, and they are reported to possibly develop pneumonia or nervous system signs. But that's not typical in in the experience I had as a new graduate when I did see these cases. They they um they usually ran that uh, that course puffy feet pustules around the the nose become um, depressed and die and that yeah and that moist dermatitis as you mentioned and that's sort of one of the differential um the, the features that we don't, yeah. don't see in other species and and the other one is a pyrexia as well although that may be waxing and waning so they get a temperature over 40 degrees some of them um so um the the challenge is you know do you have a ferret with distemper that's showing those sort of respiratory type signs or do we have a ferret that has some of those other potential respiratory diseases including you know the human influenza virus etc and they may do an occasional cough as well um, with it so it's trying to you know narrow down whether or not it's a distemper which is almost certainly going to end up with a dead ferret or whether we've got one of those other other conditions there so um potential care you know how do they get this how do they get this disease i mean the obvious one there is that um it it may be spread from another ferret there but how how would the ferrets um develop the distemper and the reports are um supposedly um especially well in australia is that it can be foxes dingoes feral dogs etc um that that um is where they'd um where they'd um, acquire it from. Um, would you agree? I think with that, um, foxes are a real uh, a real vector of of likely guilt. They um uh, particularly one of the things when I first graduated, I worked in a practice where um, they saw that what the client there was a group of clients who used rabbiting ferrets, so they would keep not keep them as pets so much, but keep them in the yard in in aviary-like enclosures um, and put them up in boxes, run them out into the countryside, uh, tip them down rabbit warrens and cover all the the exits they could see to capture the rabbits as they burst out from the... um, uh, from the burrows, um, and um, and so you could easily imagine those very same warrens being explored very recently by foxes, um, and a lot of the that's uh, that dynamic uh, that uh, epidemiology was highly suggestive to us of the foxes being the vector, and of course because those working ferrets are not nearly as popular these days. Um, uh, and probably a lot of the working ferrets are vaccinated. We don't, just don't see um, those ferrets come down with uh, the contact. But foxes still get into a lot of suburban yards, and I think um, uh, that is a real agency of um, disease transmission. So the next question is, if you have a ferret presented to you that you think may have distemper mark how do we go about trying to diagnose that um <laughs> i i would routinely um have a high index post-mortem yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um take some samples yes um no i'd i'd uh i'd be um 
there there is a, um, a PCR, isn't there, that we can send off? I think, but I think so. But it's I can't remember the last time I've I've sent one off. But um, so it might be difficult to um, find a lab that will run that. But yeah, um, that's certainly an option. Hopefully, um, otherwise we're we're basing it on um, combination of clinical science and, and blood work as well. I, I think as well, um, you might see pretty marked changes in in your cell count there, um, and. Unfortunately, the ones I've seen, and I've only probably seen two or three, and, and one of them we'll talk about a little bit later when we talk about vaccination, um, is um, on histopathology um, of, of that dead animal when we're sending off bits. Um, typically, I think liver is what I'd potentially be sending off, I think, um, or spleen <laughs> um, um, with them. So I think it can be a bit of a challenge, can't it, Mark, um, to, to get that diagnosis? So if, if, for instance, we didn't have a lab that could do something like a PCR test, um, how are we going to potentially do it? Because um, diagnose it because um, the treatment, well, there isn't really any specific treatment, is there? It's really just supportive care, supposedly, the, the, the way you try and... So it's a little bit like analogous to, to the people who potentially want to try and treat a myxomatosis case um, in, in a rabbit um, in that they, it's invariably um, that the case that that animal will die. And I think same story with these ferrets. Um, so if you've got a high suspicion that this ferret has distemper and yet you haven't got that te- com, um, 100% diagnosis there, it, it's a challenge, isn't it? It really, And there are a number of situations in unusual and exotic practice where you are in this situation where you um, do struggle to um, uh, um, come up with like a definitive diagnosis. But um, I, do, I think I've just gone to, you know, doing my research before we come on uh, line, I've just um, uh, gone to our, uh, a couple of the Australian um, pathology labs and there are PCRs for uh, canine distemper. So I probably would be looking to get one of those. But the turnaround time is about three days for those, three working days for those tests. So you are often trying to make a, a diagnosis before you um, you get to the point where, um, you know, the, because the animals are suffering. So it is difficult um, to be certain of the diagnosis before you have to make um, some of those um, uh quality of life decisions yes and speaking of quality of life decisions if that pcr comes back positive what what's what's your likely recommendation to the client? well you you said it before that in in my experience it's invariably fatal but um there there is this is controversial brendan um and um and like i said across many of the at least a few of the diseases we get to deal with with uh, exotic animals. Myxomatosis is the other one that leaps to mind. Um, There is a number of uh, pieces of anecdotal information floating around on the internet which suggests animals might survive uh, these diseases under certain circumstances. And, and, um, And so that does encourage some clients to uh, want to persist. And so I think it's a balancing act and it's a real test of communication um, and uh, management of the welfare of the animal and, of course, uh, hanging on until the people are ready 
and ensuring that the animal doesn't suffer anything that it doesn't need to. That's a real difficult thing for two for us to do. One of the the um, the hurdles of being an exotic a, a veterinarian that sees ferrets. Um, so yeah, I would. I it's not easy, but um, I definitely think once I had that PCR, I would be fairly vigorous in suggesting we don't allow the ferret to go through any more. Yes, and there's some recommendations of some interesting sort of products to supposedly treat um, distemper um, that's out there, Mark, including vitamin injections and and some other sort of theoretical things that are, haven't been um, um, proven. Um, so my recommendations would be euthanasia, <laughs> without a doubt, um, if if it came back positive with that. And it's a, you know, it's always a sad day and a difficult discussion with some clients. And um, it's that's the days when you think, I wish I just had vaccinations coming in um, with a dog or a cat, Mark, and I don't have these complex cases to deal with with these invariably fatal diseases with them. And speaking of vaccinations, Mark, what's the preventative pro- protocol for this um, condition? And again, we, we could, this is a bit controversial as well. So oh what do you goodness. do? What's your recommendations? Can we prevent it? Well, we seem to be able to prevent it, yes. Um, but the difficulty is that um, there's no big... Uh, study. There's no, in Australia at least, there's no registered product um, to use for ferrets. And so here in Australia, we follow the, um, there's a, there was a protocol developed in the uh, late 1990s by the uh, good people at CSL at that time, which um, they did run a small trial with, I only think it was about um, uh, four or five <coughs> ferrets and what they did was uh, vaccinate the ferrets with one sixth of a um, uh, of a. At that time, previous to that, here in Australia, we had a monovalent distemper vaccine, um, but that vaccine was discontinued. And so, at that time, uh, there was this trial: five ferrets with uh, a, a you know three and one a C three canine vaccine. Ferrets are known to tolerate the. Um, the uh, uh, adenovirus and the parvovirus without consequence. That initial trial was done with inactivated vaccine, but since then um, there have been many anecdotal uh, cases of using attenuated live vaccines, using one-sixth of a dog dose. So the usual thing we do is uh, reconstitute the vaccine in one and a half mils of water um, and then deliver a quarter of a mil dose to the ferret. Um, and and that has, in our experience, been highly effective. And epidemiologically, I would say that, um, you know, across Australia, the incidence of distemper in ferrets has receded uh, in the um, few decades that we've been doing that increasingly commonly to ferrets. We usually give the, the two doses um, between six and 12 weeks of age um, and um, and uh, and then repeat it annually. Um, so. so, and and I think most of the um, main manufacturers have, have run internal yes. trials and I have spoken to some of the technical people there, Mark, and, um, and the vaccines we tend to use at the moment, the C3 vaccines that we use are the Nobivac um, vaccines and and they that same vaccine is used in, in the UK especially and it's been used for many thousands of ferrets um, worldwide 
And their internal studies have shown that yeah, it does produce a good response in ferrets, and and they they actually recommend a whole vial. Yeah. Um, so we tend to use just a whole vial per ferret with them. So I I think the take home message with it, if um, if you're not using a, a vaccine specifically um, registered for ferrets, and there are those in in the yes. United States, and I think in some other countries, then you need to check with your um, local suppliers and vaccine technical representative, and, and ask them, hey, what what do you recommend? What does that vaccine company recommend? And have you done any internal studies with with it in ferrets? And um, what's the dose you recommend? And I'd just be guided by that. And yes, it's an off-label use of the vaccination. So you need to, well, have a little chat to the clients about the fact they're using an off-label medication for their pet and the difficulties of trying to explain that situation um, to the client. And yeah, we typically go with with two or, or three vaccinations in a youngster and then an annual vaccination. And once, what what I'm tending to do these days is if there's a ferret, an adult ferret that's to gets to four or five years of age, I usually don't then um, keep going with the annual vaccination there. And the, the rationale behind that is there are some papers from that are published overseas in Europe, I think, that talk about um, a vaccination um, with against distemper for, for, um, with ferrets. Um, one vaccination lasting for much longer than one year in a ferret, and and even the potential that a that a vaccination um, may last a lifetime as far as providing um, immunocompetence. So I expect that in the future um, it'll be a little bit like the triennial vaccinations, you know, um, that that people are vaccinating ferrets every two or three years, or or maybe they're only getting a couple of vaccinations when they're young, and then then they're not being vaccinated again for the life of that ferret. The ideal would obviously be then, you know, doing blood teeters, you know, every every so often, um, and and just um, and I think it's a balance between just vaccinating them or or, or taking that blood teeter and the cost of doing that versus vaccinating them. Um, um, and the only other spanner in the works, Mark, is is the, the incidence of um, vaccine induced distemper. <laughs> Which is a tricky one, um, and you know, I, I was involved with a case um, as a as a witness with a with a um, suspect vaccine induced um, case of um, distemper. So, you know, it, it would be troublesome, wouldn't it, if 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 you'd recommend vaccinating a ferret um, to a client and you're telling them that it's off label use, and then that that animal um, developed distemper um, from the vaccine. Um, you know, it's another difficult conversation isn't it then down the track with that with that client um if, when when that animals developed distemper and, and subsequently died from it so yeah have you um got any had any experience with vaccine induced um uh distemper? we've been very fortunate to avoid that complication we were worried when we started vaccinating ferrets that we would see uh, there was a lot of um talk about uh those sorts of um uh, responses um and and as well the the um just the normally immune reactive nature of ferrets makes us worried that we're going to have an anaphylactic reaction there was a particularly uh the rabies vaccine that has to be used in america is recognized as a potential cause um but um but we've been fortunate on touching my wooden um, uh, studio table here right at the moment to induce more good luck. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've been fortunate not to see those cases. 
Yes. Um, that's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it, Mark, distemper in ferrets? You know, not, not from everything from the, the diagnosis of it, um, the clinical signs, which can be a little bit different than other species. Um, the treatment options, which is basically euthanasia solution um, in most cases, and um, the prevention. Um, so um, dealing with the the, the um, conundrum of when to vaccinate and how often to vaccinate and how long that vaccine will last in, in the animal there. So ferrets, as usual, Mark, are, 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 um, we're all different, but some of us are a little bit different than others. <laughs> <laughs> and ferrets are certainly a species that I find um still find um, very fascinating and um, they're often an exception to the rule aren't they with with a lot of disease processes that they're ex that they um, exhibit or, or or exposed to they are a um, a wonderful companion animal um, it's surprising how uh, personable and um, and friendly they can be but they have a completely different medicine um, and import it's very important to be uh, yeah, on the ball, and make sure you're aware of the things that are special to ferrets. Special ferrets. We're all special, Mark. We're all special. And I think with that, Mr. Outro Man is here, and we'll say hooroo from the gurus, and don't forget to send us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com, to the giveaway. We'll talk to you all Thanks next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.